Hey, welcome to night school. We got snowfall. They said a snowstorm was coming and it's here. It's here. It was really fun to open up the curtains this morning and show Batman what was going on. Because he's smart, you know. He's He had to have known. You know, I feel like he has a good sense. I feel like he knows. I mean, you know, I, I don't know that I would call him psychic, but I I will. I don't know that I would, but I will. Uh, you know, he I, I imagine he knew. He could sense that something is different outside, even though he couldn't see before I got up and showed him. But once he saw, he was just looking all around. It was... You're very enjoy. It's such a, a simple joy to see your dog process the fact that there's snow outside. And you know, he he was born in Arizona. He, he was a, he was a uh, a natural born Arizonian. So you know, and he's a Chihuahua. You know, they're desert dogs. So this is a totally foreign environment for him. But I, just to talk about the psychic thing, how how my did you know my dog is psychic? No, but to talk about that for a second, um, there really is some strange stuff with that where I learned this pretty early on, like when he started staying with me and then when he, he moved in and became my dog, I noticed that he seemed to know every time, because he plays this game, like you have to trick him or surprise him if you want to take him for a walk, and he likes going on walks, but he likes to play this game where he hides and he doesn't let you put the shirt on him because you know I put shirts on him or, or jackets when I take him out and he doesn't let you like put the collar and harness he likes to hide under a table and he finds good places he finds places where you can't possibly get to him and he's so quick and he moves around so it's like you have to basically you can't telegraph your intention at all and even if you are good at that like even if you don't telegraph your intention he seems to know he seems to pick up on something. Like, even though nothing about my physical behavior is any different than, you know, I might as well be getting up and going, getting a snack out of the pantry. But he, he knows the second I get up that I intend to get him ready for a walk, and so he hides. So I have to be, you know, it's tricky. It's tricky, but he somehow knows. And so that's one element that I picked up on where, like, his intuition, and, and I don't really see psychic... You know, I think psychic activity and intuition are, are obviously closely related. And people get weird when you say psychic. But when I say psychic, I just basically mean mental activity, you know, mental communication that we can't see and that we can't hear. I mean, you, I mean, you can't always see communication. You can't see a lot of communication. Uh, but basically, it's it's like invisible communication that goes on in our mind and between other minds. And it's, I'm not talking about mind reading necessarily, although I wouldn't disclude that. But when I say psychic activity, I basically just mean, I mean, intuition is a part of that. And sometimes I think your intuition is so clear and well honed that it almost feels like you're prophesizing or you're picking up on something before it happens, but you might just be noticing things at such a microscopic level that your brain is doing some sort of equation. But at that point, why not just say you're psychic? You know, it kind of irritates me when people break things down. Oh, I have to break this down and explain it in a way that the scientists will approve of. Not to get on that tangent again. 
Uh, but with Batman, you know, I picked up on that with just trying to take him for walks or he would just know what I was doing. But there's been a more interesting thing that's happened, you know, since Anna, his, his previous owner, his owner, uh, you know, I always feel silly saying owner, but I don't like saying like daddy. I'm I'm a dog daddy. And I don't like I don't call myself that. I just see them as companions, you know, I, I don't know. But uh, his previous owner, for lack of a better word. Anna, she'll come and visit sometimes, and what's really bizarre is he knows. Like, she didn't come by for a month, and uh, the day she was coming over, about, you know, she lives about five minutes away, five, ten minutes away, and he knew before she even left the house, like, he doesn't hang out by the front door. You know, he, he hangs out in the back part of the house. He hangs out where I hang out. He doesn't hang out by the front door unless there's a reason, unless there's, like, somebody out there, unless something is out there that he's, like, protecting the house from. He doesn't hang out by the front door. But whenever she comes over, you know, 20 minutes before she even leaves the house, he's hanging out by the front door barking. He's excited. And there's this excitement. It's not just barking. It's like there's this body language he has, his tail's wagging. And it's it's like a, a minor version of the same excitement he feels when she actually gets here, when he just goes crazy with happiness. It's, a, it's kind of a minor version of that, like he's building up to that moment. And it's strange because, you know, I've thought about it. And yeah, you know, I, I, am, I am skeptical of my own assumptions, you know, while I try to be open-minded about things, I am skeptical about my own assumptions. Like, I do think about these things scientifically sometimes. Like, you know, I will think maybe maybe on days when she's coming over here, I tend to, like, pool my energy. That's very scientific. I tend to pool my energy at the front of the house. Like, maybe I start to pay more attention to the front door even before she comes over here. Like, because she'll tell me, like, oh, I'm leaving now. And that means about five, 10 minutes, you know, five, 10 minute drive, but you know, like a half hour sometimes, like, like there was one day where I think it was a good, like half hour or 45 minutes before she even left to come over here. And he was at the front door. He was at the front of the house. He was doing what he does when he knows she's here. And it was just so strange because like, I was very conscious of it. And like, you know, I pace around the house constantly. Like I, I don't relax. I, I pace around the house. I'm constantly pacing. And sometimes that involves going to the front door. So I don't think that there's anything about my body language that is substantially different on those days when she visits. I don't think so. Not until, like, once she tells me she's heading over, I start, you know, checking out the window and things like that. But up until that point, you know, I don't think that I do anything substantially different, but he behaves differently. He knows something is going on. What that is, you know, the skeptic in me goes like, well, maybe there is something that I'm doing. But I think he's psychic. I think at the end of the day, I can't really come up with anything. And I think he's just, you know, psychic. I think that his intuition is so clear and powerful. Um, but, uh, you know... Maybe he knew it was snowing before it was snowing, even though he hadn't seen it yet, you know? Animals pick up on those things. But anyway, that was just that's just an intro, not really what I was going to talk about today. Psychic dogs. People always talk about, like, the dog psychic, the dog whisperer. But it's like, it's your dog that's psychic. You're not psychic. The dog's psychic. 
Um, but uh, you know, I was thinking about a couple things. Misunderstanding, because you know, my big thing in life, my core philosophy is like I don't expect anybody to ever understand me. I think to expect anybody to understand you is a form of entitlement. Like, you are not entitled to people understanding you, especially if you're someone like me. Like, I would never expect anybody in a million years to understand me because I don't even understand myself completely. You know, I want to understand myself to the degree that I'm not destructive, self-destructive, that I'm not a bad person. And ideally, I'm a good person, you know, like I want to understand myself to the degree that I can be a good person. But beyond that, I don't feel entitled to people understanding me. But the problem with that is when people don't feel they understand you, they quickly jump to misunderstanding. And I refuse to let people misunderstand me. When I know somebody is misunderstanding me, I say, stop right there. You know, (laughs) I don't say that. Stop right there. No, I, I, that's when I, I don't get mad, but I either completely remove myself from that person if I don't think there's going to be any resolution, or I stop them right there. I really do, and I'm just like, you know, everything I'm going to say about myself, everything I have said about myself, everything I do is honest, and I will give myself that. Uh, not that, and that doesn't mean perfect, but one thing that I am is I am always honest when I talk about myself. Does that you know, sometimes maybe I exaggerate, sometimes I use hyperbole, but when it comes to me talking about you know my values and what I'm trying to express, I am always trying to do that as honestly as possible, and if not honestly, at least not dishonestly, and that's kind of like the same distinction between understanding and misunderstanding where I don't expect people to understand me, just like I don't expect myself to, to know what honesty you are. Because, I mean, honesty obviously is directly correlated with the word truth, and everybody dissects, like, what, what, is, well, what is truth? What is truth? And you can just spin your wheels endlessly on that one to the point where it's just this annoying philosophy 101 bullshit. Excuse me, but that's what it is when you get, what is truth? You know, so trying to say that you understand what honesty actually is, I don't know, it takes a degree of arrogance, hubris to actually say that, oh, I'm honest all the time. So I don't want to really come across that way. But what I will say is I'm not dishonest. I might not know, it's hard to really know what true honesty is, but I will say I'm not dishonest. So if I'm talking about myself, you can trust that I'm not being dishonest because I have no intention of misrepresenting myself. And I got into the world that way too, and it involves giving people the benefit of the doubt. Like, I'm going to do my best to not misunderstand you. I'm going to try not to, you know, and I'm not going to, trick myself into thinking I understand you. But if I can just not misunderstand you, that is an amazing place to be in where we're not misunderstanding each other. But when people don't understand you, they quickly jump to misunderstanding, and that's really the root of all evil. Money, money rules. Money, I love money. You know, it sucks too. I love money. Money's not the root of all evil. Misunderstanding is the root of all evil. It really is.
And deliberate misunderstanding is extra evil because people deliberately misunderstand people. If you, that, that, and that's a thing that happens, and this is going to be something to think about. It's, if you find yourself not actually misunderstanding someone, but you deliberately cast your interpretation as a misunderstanding, you are a piece of shit. It doesn't mean you can't redeem yourself. You're not a permanent piece of shit. And I'm going to swear. I'm going to swear here because that's how I feel. Um, I need I need to swear to really put this in the right light. And uh, yeah, if you find that you're not actually misunderstanding someone, which is an amazing thing, like, like that is a gift to everybody. It's a gift to them and it's a gift to you. If you're in a position where you're not actually misunderstanding somebody for once in this world, but you still cast your interpretation as a misunderstanding in, a, in order to manipulate the situation, you are scum in that moment. And you should never do that. So misunderstanding, it's, you know, I think we all understand what it feels like. We all understand what it feels like to be misunderstood. And it's one of the worst feelings in the world. It makes you want to lash out in response. It really, and I, and I don't know that I've been misunderstood lately. I think there's some people, you know, I mean, I think I'm constantly misunderstood, to be honest. Like, I don't, I don't take a, you know, I don't act, I don't treat myself like a victim because of it. I don't have a persecution complex, but I, I get that feeling constantly. And I don't care about being liked. I don't care about any of that. Like, you know, I know there are people who like me and I like those people. And, and if you like someone and they like you, well, hey, you're playing with the house's money. Um, and I love money. I love the house's money. Um, but no, if you like someone and they like you, if you aren't misunderstanding someone and they're not misunderstanding you again, baby, the house is money. You got the house is money available, but there are some people like, I mean, it sucks when it's somebody who's like part of your family or even a friend of yours. It sucks when, when that, but I think, you know, a sign of true friendship to me is where, like, I was thinking about a friend of mine, my friend in Florida, I've talked about on here before, who I know through a very niche subject. Like he and I know each other, have known each other for many years now uh, through like mafia research and that general subject. And we've collaborated on research. We haven't done any, com we haven't completed any projects together or anything, but it's definitely on the table at some point. Like I'm helping him a little bit with his book, just kind of um, like not helping him write it, but you know, he's sent me some things and he's gone over it a lot with me. I'm basically like helping him with any editing or anything he wants. Like, like it hasn't gotten to that point, but I'm basically available for any kind of consultation he wants to, to throw by me. Um, you know, he, and he deliberately, this isn't something like I volunteered myself for, you know, he's asked for help with that. And, uh, but anyway, he he and I talk a lot about all kinds of things and he lives in Florida and it's interesting because like he's a he considers himself a he said the other day we were talking about something and he said that he's a a centrist he's on the center left is what he said. He specifically identified himself as on the center left and it's interesting to get his perspective and he supported Biden, you know, he hated Trumpsfeld. We've talked about all that. Like he knows where I stand. 
And what's interesting is he was telling me, he was talking to the, you know, I talked about how we're in touch with this, you know, former uh, mafia captain who turned government witness and how he met up with him the other day. He met up with and had lunch with him and, and the guy's wife and everything. And, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to name names just because, just because this guy's been somewhat public, not the most public that these guys are, but he's been somewhat public, done interviews, and he's in he's in a BBC documentary that's really good. If, if you're interested in who this is, you can contact me, and I, I would be happy to talk privately. But just out of respect, you know, I don't I don't believe in necessarily naming who this person is. But he, that guy knows me, uh, and uh, that this guy he's a Trumpsfeld supporter. This former mafia captain is a Trumpsfeld supporter. They all are, all of them. I'm not even kidding. All of them are like diehard Trumpsfeld supporters. They're all Republicans. All mafia members are diehard Republicans. They all voted for Trumpsfeld. I'm not even kidding you. And they, what's interesting is they, they actually like love the law and order stuff too. Like even though they don't want the FBI and the cops coming after them, they actually love it. I don't know. They 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 love that sort of value system because they actually don't see themselves. Many of them, some of them do, but many of them don't really see themselves as criminals so much as their own form of government. Like that was something Sammy Gravano said uh, when uh, when he turned government informant. And the guy the guy that we talked to is not Sammy Gravano, although he knows him. My friend know my friend has talked to to Sammy Gravano. Uh, who, who's a scumbag, like the guy that we talked to. And, and, I, and I feel silly saying this like I'm some like sycophant, like, oh, this gangster that we know. and I, Or like I'm bragging about it or something. But, uh, you know, on this show, I talk about a lot of things. And this is an in, a very interesting thing that I never expected to have developed is to have some kind of rapport with a well-known former mafia captain. You know, I just never expected when I got into this subject when I was 18, I just never expected that. Uh, and I'm not pretending to be his best friend or anything, but uh, there's a rapport. Um, but anyway, um, uh, what's interesting though, is like my friend who, who talked to Gravano and and I, I don't care about listing his name. Gravano's, there's nothing to protect there. Um, but he, he's, he's gotten the distinct impression that Gravano is just a, not to be trusted. He's a scammer. Even now he thinks of himself as a gangster He's trying to get money out of people. He's trying to manipulate people. He's just not a good guy. Whereas this other guy that we're in touch with is an absolute gentleman. But you have to be careful of that, too, because it's, it's like what I talk about with the con men. It's almost like, uh, not that I think this guy's a con man at all, but just that you have to be careful of that because he is so likable. He is such a gentleman. Whereas like Gravano, you just, you immediately know. It's like, it's more like Trumpsfeld, where it's like he he looks like and acts like what he is. And the, and the dilemma is, do you prefer that over somebody who hides what they are? And, and, you know, you have to, you know, you, you feel like, you know, you know what I mean? I mean, I've talked about this at length before, but it's just like, how obvious do you want it to be? How obvious do you want the thing you're dealing with to be? But in this case, you know, I was talking to my friend, he's on the center left and like, you know, hundreds of hours of communication, you know, a hundred hours probably on the phone over the years, uh, countless emails, messages over the years, 
that include talking about politics and society. It's not like we we talk about all these things with, with my friend here, and he calls he considers himself on the center left. He voted for Biden, but you know what? There's never once been a disagreement. Like I would never consider myself a Biden supporting like leftist. You know, at this point, it should be pretty obvious at this point that I, I don't consider myself that. Um, but uh, oh my God, it's so controversial. The schoolboy doesn't consider himself a, a Obama bin Biden supporting leftist. You know, it's at this point it should be pretty obvious, um, and that shouldn't be controversial even that I don't feel that way. But uh, but anyway, this guy is very much that. But he lives in an environment where he's in Florida and he's surrounded by you know this sort of like lowest common denominator Republican. And you can see where that influences his perspective. Like he said, he's like, like, I've never even seen anything like Antifa in the flesh. And I'm like, well, it's all over the place here. It really is. I mean, I live in the Pacific Northwest. I go to Portland. I I live in Olympia. I'm from Seattle. Like if somebody says that they've never met somebody or seen somebody who's, who's an actual part of Antifa and they live in the Pacific Northwest, they're either a liar or uh, they just don't don't know what they're seeing um and i'm not saying everybody who i'm not one of these people who's like everybody who protested in blm is antifa i don't i don't feel that way at all you know i know that's not true that would be dishonest on my part but to say that i've never experienced i've never known people who are part of these things is uh you know it's just it's just a fact that i have but uh with this guy he's never come across that and i believe him I believe like where he lives in Florida, he's never come across any of this. And I believe that being surrounded by lowest common denominator Republicans, like if I lived there, maybe I'd be on here being like, you know what? I am a Obama supporting uh, leftist. I very well might like my, my inner rebelliousness. If I were surrounded by lowest common denominator Republicans, I, I maybe I may very well be leaning the other way. But the, but I'm I'm surrounded by the other side of that. You know, I'm surrounded by lowest common denominator leftists, Democrats. So it's like maybe now I, I don't I mean, I don't think I lean. I don't think that my values are based on just rebelling against whatever I'm around just a little bit. But I think what I rant about tends to be in response to that. But my own values don't come from that. My own values are just what I believe is right or at least not wrong. Um, but anyway, this guy, you know, it's just interesting because like he and I have talked so much over the years but there's never been a misunderstanding. There's never been a misunderstanding about like where we stand on things. And it's interesting that even though he considers himself a Obama supporting center leftist, you know, I don't think I've ever even disagreed with this guy's values. I've never had a problem with anything he said. And like I said, we've talked about this. We don't just talk about the mafia all the time. We talk about life, talk about the world. And we've never had a disagreement about just values. So it's interesting. And and it's funny too, because he was talking to this this former mafia captain about politics because this guy loves to talk about politics. He loves to talk about Trumpsfeld. He loves to talk about everything going on in the world. Uh, the mafia captain and he he asked him like what my values are, which is amazing. Like I can't believe this guy cared. He asked a mutual friend like what my political stance is, and my friend told him I'm basically a libertarian. And I thought that was so funny. And the guy said in response, he was like, oh, you know, that he must be smart then. Because, of course, this guy, this guy likes anybody who's conservative leaning. 
and I don't even like, I wouldn't even call myself that, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to come across like a fence sitter, but sure, I have conservative sympathies for sure. Um, but, uh, it was funny to me though, that my friend described me as a libertarian. Cause like, I don't, cons- I, I would never consider myself an actual libertarian, even though I think there, there are a lot of good ideas there. I think when I think of libertarianism, I think of it as a philosophy. I don't think of libertarianism as an actual political system that you can put into practice. And when people mock libertarianism, they mock it as as some sort of political fantasy. Whereas to me, it's philosophical. And that philosophy can inform politics. But that's why I think the, the libertarian party has never picked up quite the amount of traction that its supporters want it to. And why I would never call myself a libertarian. The value, I, I absolutely support the values. I absolutely support the ideas of libertarianism. At least as far as I understand them. Because I don't even know that I understand them. You know, but that's another example. Like someone says they're a libertarian and someone who hates everything that they consider remotely right wing is just right away they're just like oh here's here's how i'm going to distort what you believe when like i've known i I have known a lot of self-professed libertarians I, i do know a lot of them i have them in my family i have them in my immediate group of friends and they're not those like nerdy college libertarians who are like, here, I'm going to talk to you about the market. They're just people who, they just live their life that way. Um, I had a weed dealer in college who was a libertarian, which was cool because we went to the Evergreen State College. So the fact that like I managed, and I didn't seek this guy out. He wasn't a friend of mine. The guy who actually referred me to him was a an anarcho-punk who wore like crass patches and like aus rotten patches. And he worked with my girlfriend. He wasn't my friend, like the anarcho punk dude. He worked with my girlfriend and I, they all knew Eric was looking for weed. <laughs> and, uh, he said, he hooked me up with his friend and, and that's kind of funny because libertarianism and, and anarchism go hand in hand, you know, on on different ends of the spectrum. Like, there's a lot of parallels between those. And so it's funny to me that this, like, anarchist dude introduced me to his libertarian friend who sold weed. But the libertarian dude liked me because, like, I wasn't just the typical evergreen student. And uh, we were never buddies or anything, but we would hang out and smoke. And the crazy thing about him was he had... A loaded AK-47 just sitting in his living room at all times. And the first time I ever met him, I went to his apartment and he wasn't there. The anarcho-punk dude, I think he was like living there or staying there. Either way, he could get in and just like wait for the guy. Like he had access to the house. And the AK-47 was just sitting there and we were smoking a joint. And uh, the the anarcho-punk dude, you know, for lack of a better way to describe, I'm not going to name his name. He just like grabbed the AK-47 while we were smoking the joint and was like, check this out. And we just like, I think there was another person there too. And we just passed this AK-47 between each other and just like examined it while we're smoking a joint. And that was a moment where I thought in my head, I was like, if my mom could see this, 
Like this is everything you shouldn't do. This is everything your parent fears. You're using drugs and yeah, it's just weed, but still it's like, here we are smoking a joint while waiting for the drug dealer to get here. And we're passing an AK, a loaded AK-47 back and forth. And he had other guns. He had an AR-15 he was building. You know, he had other guns as well. And here's how crazy it is. But the guy, the dealer walked in the door of his house. And he saw us with the, the AK-47. And he goes, what the fuck are you doing? And then he grabbed it and he goes, I never have the safety on. And he took the safety off and he like put it back where it went. But like, he goes, he goes like, what the fuck are you doing? And I thought, oh, he's, he's pissed off that we're, we're like passing his gun back and forth. He was pissed off that we had the safety on. I'm not even kidding you. This sounds made up. Everything I'm talking about today sounds made up. Oh, Gambino, uh, a New York crime family captain, a former crime family captain asked a mutual friend what my political views are. And a drug dealer got mad at us for playing with his AK-47 because the safety was off, on. Safety was on, and he was mad. I'm kind of jokingly, but still. Like, this all sounds made up, but no, this is real stuff. Don't misunderstand me. I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm never dishonest about my life. You know, I'm just, I, you know, I'm, I'm never dishonest about it, but. I don't know. I guess I was talking about libertarianism and just, yeah, I see it as a philosophy and I don't even know that it's a philosophy I buy into. Just like I don't read like Nietzsche and go like, I, this is 100% my value system. I'm not even a big philosophy guy in general. You know, I don't, I don't read a lot of philosophy. Like most of the philosophy that I check out is very much spiritually informed. Uh, I don't read just like philosophy for the sake of philosophy, even though it's cool and interesting in its own way. It's just I don't gravitate toward it. But like I don't read philosophy books, the philosophy books I've read and go like, here's what I believe. And so in seeing libertarianism as more of a philosophy than a political system, I go, oh, that's interesting. And, you know, I understand some of it maybe or I don't misunderstand some of it. And I, you know, it's it's all right. That's how I feel about it. Um, but uh, but anyway, you just—it's interesting though. Like that was—that was my friend's interpretation of me, or at least how he translated that. I don't even think that's his interpretation of me. He just needed a way to tell this mafia guy, like what I believed, and that was the easiest way, which makes sense. And that would be probably the easiest way. If somebody just needed like one word, but I, I wouldn't personally call myself that. I would not call myself a libertarian at all. Um, but uh, anyway, you know, it's it'd be easy to because, I mean, if I were to say that people would immediately misunderstand me. And I think I would be misunderstanding myself if I called myself a libertarian. Uh, I, I tend to get along really well with libertarians. You know, I, I think on a just a philosophical level, I tend to get along really well with libertarians. And let's just leave it at that, you know, because I don't, you know, the reality is, is like the exact moment that I'm having a fantasy about my 25 year old Buddhist Republican girlfriend, I'll have like an interaction with like a full blown Republican and just be like, yeah, those are definitely not the people for me. Um. And as I've said before, that fan, my fantasy of my 25-year-old Buddhist Republican girlfriend, she's way more conservative and hardcore than I am. Like, she thinks I'm a wimp. 
She thinks I'm a, a wimpy fence sitter. Like the fantasy is kind of masochistic. It's almost like a, uh, it's almost like a BDSM relationship or something where like my Buddhist Republic, my younger Buddhist Republican girlfriend is constantly needling me for not being as conservative as she is. And that's part of the, the pleasure of the relationship. It's like a, yeah. Um, but anyway, just, you know, it's, it's funny though, how like you can talk, you can, this, this person who I'm friends with, who actually does ha- like have different political opinions from me has never once misunderstood me. And I don't think I've ever misunderstood him, you know, so that's cool. And that's how a lot of my friendships work is they're based on a mutual willingness to not misunderstand somebody else. And when you do misunderstand somebody, it's not deliberate. It's just because, I mean, if you think you're going to go through life not misunderstanding the people you care about, you're going to have an even harder life than you will already. You know, if you think you're never going to misunderstand your friends like that, because, I mean, basically what it means is like if you get in a fight with your friends or your loved ones, it's going to be because of a misunderstanding. But it's how you handle that misunderstanding because you will misunderstand people. So it's, so a lot of life is like how you handle that misunderstanding. And I mean, this gets into something I was talking to my friend Kyle about because he was talking about alchemy a little bit. He's reading a lot of esoteric uh, subject matter. And alchemy is something I've never studied. Like I, I know what it is, you know, in the obvious, you know, the cliche is like turning lead into gold. And it was something that people actually pursued. And, uh, you know, and I think in some ways, you know, it, like you have the realization they're like, oh, everything is alchemy. Like you're constantly turning one thing into another thing. Like if you're a creative person, for example, you know what alchemy is because it's, it's what you do all the time. You know, I'm, I'm taking something like, I mean, let's just go with drawing because that's an easy example. Like I'm taking a black ink pen and a white piece of paper and I'm turning it into this gradient you know, this, this like spectrum of tones and shades and shapes, and I'm rendering something that didn't exist. I'm not, it's not even a life drawing. I'm not even drawing something that I saw. I'm creating something out of thin air. Like, what is that? That sounds like alchemy to me. You're turning these material substances into a visual image that transcends our actual reality to get really pretentious about it, but that's what you're doing doesn't matter. You don't even, and what's amazing is you don't even have to be good at it. You know, if you're a creative person, you don't even have to be good at what you're doing for it to be alchemy. And then of course you get into the idea that everything you do in life is alchemy and you can just keep going from there that life itself is alchemy. You know, like even just expressing yourself in words is a form of alchemy. Um, so while like the material side of it, of like, I'm going to turn this substance into something else might not work. I don't know. I mean, if you want to get scientific about it, like scientific alchemy might not work, but it's always been a spiritual esoteric sort of practice, even when, when people were actually trying to do it. But when my friend brought it up, when he brought up alchemy, like I thought immediately of this thing I read, speaking of the mafia, I got a hold of these, uh, court transcripts. There's a guy, Vinny Acero, an old time mafia guy, he's still alive. And he was on trial a few years ago, and he beat the case, but I got a hold of the court transcripts where his cousin testified against him, and his cousin was just kind of a low-life 
did a lot of armed robberies and stuff. But the the cousin talked about doing a an armed robbery of a factory. I think it was in the seventies or eighties. And it was I'm trying to think of what it was called, but it was this powder. This factory produced this this gold powder, and he said it looked like laundry detergent. It was like white powder, but it had originally been gold. And why this exists, I don't even know. Like, I don't. Why do these things exist? Like, they had turned gold into this white powder, like a chemical, basically. Like they they had done some sort of process to gold where it turned into this white powder, and then you you could then add a chemical to this white powder to turn it back into solid gold. And I'm like, what's the point of that? Is it for like transporting it? Just bored, were, were scientists bored that day? And we're like, let's turn gold into white powder and then find a way to turn it back into solid gold again. I don't understand what it was for. I'm sure it had some, there was some rationale, but the mafia guys heard about this. And so they're like, let's rob the place. And then we can convert that powder into gold and sell it. And so that's what they did. They robbed the place and then, but you know what's amazing? Do you know what the chemical was that they used to turn this white powder back into gold? Cyanide. I'm not even kidding. You add you added cyanide to this gold powder. And like when I say gold powder, it wasn't gold in color. The gold had turned into this white powder. It's like they removed some chemical from it, but you added cyanide to the white powder to turn it back into gold. There's probably more to it than that, but this is what the guy testified about. Uh, Gary Valenti was his name, is his name. He ratted his own cousin out. Um, but yeah, he, he said that they added cyanide to the powder after they stole it to turn it into gold. And and that just seems like, you know, getting back to like the money is the root of all evil thing, which I don't believe. But getting back to that idea, you know, the fact that you would add cyanide to, to this powder to turn it back into gold. I mean, that, that sort of, do I even need to say it? Like there's, there seems to be something just inherently evil in that. Like, oh, how do we turn this gold powder back into gold? Oh, you add cyanide. That's incredible. Because I don't even know what cyanide is beyond, like, its horrible, like, murderous use. I don't even know what cyanide is. I know it can turn powder into gold. I know that it's part of... I know that cyanide plays a role in the alchemical process. You know, think about these medieval alchemists who are trying so hard to turn lead into gold. And it's like, oh, I guess you guys didn't have cyanide then. Pretty incredible. Uh, but what's funny is, like, I mean, things are very synchronistic right now. Things are very, you know, if you've heard of the term magical timing, the phrase magical timing, every once in a while things do seem to be very timed magically. And you can't get caught up in that. You can't try to force it. But sometimes everything just does. I mean, synchronicity itself is a form of magical timing, uh, at least is a large part of it. And, uh, you know, right after my buddy brought up alchemy, which he's never brought up before, I never think about alchemy. I've thought about it before, but I never actively think about it. Uh, and uh, we were talking about that yesterday during the day. And then last night I'm reading this New Age book I found on my mom's bookshelf. And it's like, it's not something I would ever normally be interested in. But I'm just like, hey, I've been seeing this book on the shelf for a while. And Maybe I'm in between books. Sometimes you just need a little a filler book, and this is this is it. It's a woman who channeled Princess Diana's 
dead soul. Her dead soul. It is, though. And, like, naturally, like, my mom didn't necessarily believe in that stuff. You know, my mom was open-minded. But she, my mom wasn't super new age or anything. But she would, she would, you know, she was interested in everything. You know, she was really interested in everything. And she, my mom did have a, a weird past life experience. She had a a vision once. Like, she didn't go around experiencing this. But when she was in England as a stewardess, she was a stewardess in the 1960s and 70s. And she was in England once, and she she was somewhere. I want to say she was in maybe, like, Westminster Abbey. She was doing a tour. And, like, she turned a corner and, and, like, went into this room. And, like, for, like, a split second as she walked into this room, she had this, like, visual of, like, a, a washerwoman. Like, a woman on her hands and knees cleaning. And it was, like, oh, it was, you know, a woman from a previous era. Like, something from a movie or something. You know, you walk, like, like somebody walks into a room and has a split-second vision. And my mom was not, like, inventing this stuff. Like, my mom had an interesting enough life and perspective to where there was no reason to, like, invent some sort of past-life vision. You know, she was a very honest person. And uh, I don't say that just because she was my mom and I love her. I mean it. And uh, she had this split-second vision. And it's like the only time it happened to her. You know, it's not like she had this continually uh, of this washerwoman. And she knew it was her. Does that mean that she was a washerwoman at Westminster Abbey? Not necessarily, but it was something. Like she was communicating with something ancient. And uh, as a result, it that was a moment for her that just blew her mind, you know, uh, you know, there was no diagnosable reason why she would have this, like, what what someone might call a hallucination. But as a result, she was, you know, did kind of have a, an occasional interest in past lives and that kind of thing, which I think is why she has this book. And uh, I saw it there, and so I'm reading it. And anyway, it covers everything. And I'm reading it, and, like, I, I approach these books where it's like, I know this book, this woman channeled Princess Diana's uh, soul, after she died. And like, you know, that's, does it, do I need to say that I'm not interested in that? Do I need to say that I don't necessarily believe that? But I decided, and I take this approach with everything. I took this approach the first time I read the Bible. I've taken this approach with everything I've read in the last few years where I say, I'm going to read this, not thinking of it as fiction, not thinking of it as nonfiction. I'm going to read this with a complete blank slate. And if it's entertaining, I'm going to not misunderstand this. Let's go with that. Let's go with the theme of this episode. Every single thing I read now, I say to myself, especially if it's a book, because uh, I mean, if I'm looking at, if I'm reading things online, I'm probably misunderstanding it on purpose half the time. Like, oh, can you believe she said this? Can you believe he said this? But uh, with books, especially, if I'm going to take the time to read a book, which I, I take a lot of time to read books, I'm so cool. If you, if you go to someone's house and they don't have a Kindle, don't fuck them. John Waters. Uh, but anyway, if I'm reading a book, like, if I'm going to take that time and focus to read a book, I'm going to go in with as open mind as possible, no matter what it's about. No matter what it's about. And that includes somebody who channeled Princess Diana. And the book's barely about that. She only messages, she only mentions that a couple times. She only messages that. A couple times. She only the author of the book only text messages me about Princess Diana. 
Prince Diana. I call her Prince Diana. I'm going to say that to people. If someone ever brings up Princess Diana to me, I'm going to say, do you mean Prince Diana? <laughs> uh, but anyway, there's um, more and more snow falling, Prince Diana. But anyway, just I decided to approach this book just being like I'm as open-minded as possible. The whole reason I'm talking about it is because last night I was reading a chapter and the woman brings up alchemy. The author brings up alchemy. And it never comes up. So it was just it was fitting that like I had the first conversation about alchemy that I've had in probably years. It's the first time I've thought about alchemy in a couple of years. And then, of course, that night there's a segment in the book about alchemy. And I like that she brought up alchemy in a really interesting way because she was talking about she's like a health expert as well. Like kind of a new agey, like, oh, if you eat this, it represents this. But, you know, there's good, there's good advice in that. Even if somebody has like some perspective where it's like you want to eat earth foods to feel this way. I can appreciate that. Um, but she was talking about alchemy. Well, what she was talking about is like she was saying that somebody can. If somebody has an extremely pure intention, she says they can eat junk food and basically convert it into something nutritious. And she was saying that's a form of alchemy. And I don't expect anybody to buy into that. Personally, I think there's some, there might be some truth to that. Like, I think if you think about what you're eating in the right way, your body can potentially use it in different ways than it might otherwise. I don't know how that's explained scientifically. It's not something I spend a lot of time thinking about. But what she said, I don't think, while I might not agree with it 100%, I might not like devote my life to it. I think there is something to be said about the fact that if you think about your food in a certain way while you're eating it or before you eat it or even after you eat it, maybe all of the above, ghost of Christmas past, present, and future, baby, while you're eating, if you think about it that way, your body might very well respond accordingly because your body does respond to your mind. And in the same way that your hand responds to what your mind tells it, is it insane to think that your internal processes, your digestion, what your body does with what you eat, is it insane to think that your mind might have some control over that, especially if you reach a state of purity where you can control that? You know, I don't know. I don't know. But to me, there could be something to that. So I'm not going to read what she said and be like, oh, your brain can do some kind of alchemy where it converts potato chips into vegetables. You know, I don't know that that's the case. But there, it might be possible for your body to at least use food, use junk food more efficiently as a result of your intention. I don't know. It's an interesting idea. And that's how I approach all of this. It's an interesting idea. I don't need to dedicate my soul to it. I don't need to swear an oath to Prince Diana about it. But anyway, she she referenced alchemy. She was like, it's like a form of alchemy. But then she said, I mean, she's she's funny. You know, it's like, I, I don't, I'm not a fan necessarily of this author. Like, she's not somebody where I read it and I go, this is my gal. This is my gal. You know, I don't read it and think that. But at the same time, like, she she's self-aware because she said, um, I mean, anybody, anybody who's self-aware is my gal. Anybody who's, I like anybody who's self-aware, I'm finding more and more. But the interesting thing about her is uh, she, she's like, uh, 
she's talking about this. She's like, yeah, well, I think it might be possible to like convert junk food into something, you know, beneficial or nutritious if you have that intention. And she, and she's like on a very temporary level. She's like, if you do that repeatedly, I think it catches up to you. But she's like, I think you can do that in the, in a moment on a temporary basis. But she was saying how, like, why even do that? <laughs> like, this is what I like about her. She's like, why even do that, though? Like, why even try to do... Why not just eat something healthy to begin with? Like, why go through the trouble of, like, some sort of dietary alchemy where you convert junk food into something healthy? Like, why not just eat something healthy to begin with and save yourself the trouble? Like, that's what she said. And so I'm like, that's funny. Because that's so true in many ways. Like, we go through these elaborate processes when you can achieve the same result just by doing the darn thing to begin with. You know, I, that's my problem. And I say this with passion because I'm like, why don't I just do that more often? Why don't I just simplify what I'm doing? And that made me think about actual alchemy. Like, she only that was the only time she talked about alchemy. But it made me think about, like, the gold thing where it's like, I don't understand why they did that. I'm sure there was some human rationale. Maybe just the scientists were bored one day. But it's like, you take solid gold, you convert it into a powder, and then you add cyanide to turn it back into gold. Why not just leave it gold to begin with? The whole point is to have gold. Why not just leave it as gold to begin with? Why turn gold into like a a laundry detergent looking powder so that you can add cyanide to it? to have gold again like what you know and I, and I mean maybe just so I can talk about it maybe that maybe somebody did that so that I would have some weird like mafia alchemy tie-in for a school night episode it's all about me God told the scientists to turn gold into a powder that you mix with cyanide to turn it back into gold so that I could talk about the absurdity of the alchemical pursuit in 2021 on a school night, night school, whatever, whatever this show is. I don't know the name of this show anymore. Maybe that's why. Um, but uh, it, it made me think of that because I was like, yeah, like why? It, let's say it's possible to intentionally convert junk food into something nutritious using intention. To intentionally do it with intention. Let's say that's possible. Why not just eat a healthy meal to begin with? Why not just keep the gold solid to begin with? You know, and uh, it's something you can apply to everything. You know, why not just uh, keep it what it was if that's what it should be? And for that matter, lead. Like, you know, because going back, like, because, you know, like, quote-unquote traditional alchemy the traditional like pursuit of alchemy it wasn't to uh it wasn't to turn something back into its original form it was to turn something that wasn't something into something it was to turn lead into gold is the classic example but even then i look at that and i'm like why not just leave it lead like lead has a purpose because if you turn all the lead into gold you're going to be wanting, uh, what are you going to put in your pencil? What are you going to put in your pencil? If you turn all the lead into gold, you can't write with gold. Lead has a purpose. And so, you know, you look at alchemy and be like, you're trying to turn lead into gold, but why not just let lead be lead and use lead 
in the ways that we can and do use lead. And gold exists too. And then if you turn everything into gold, it's going to lose its value. Because the whole point of turning lead into gold is so you have this valuable object, this currency. The basis of all of our modern currency. The basis, you know, the, the foundation of our paper money is the gold in Fort Knox. And so by creating more gold out of nothing, you suddenly devalue all of the gold. Therefore, there's no reason to even make the gold. There's no reason to turn lead into gold if gold has less value, which it will have. It will have less value if you turn the lead into gold. So it's, it's this big contradiction. And it, what it's telling you is don't mess with the lead. Don't mess with the lead is the whole point of alchemy. Don't mess with it. And you know that idea too of like the other version of this that I like my kind of twist on it is like the whole like taking something, turning into something else only to turn it back into that thing. That's how some people see, you know, childhood because they, they look at childhood as, as this pure state. Like you see this in, uh, in a lot of spiritual subject matter where it's like the idea of returning back to the the enchanted state of childhood. So it's like you're a kid, you come of age, and you become consumed with all these things. Like, even though coming of age is seen as this necessary and good thing, we then try to escape what we... You know, we When we come of age, we then spend so much of our lives like trying to escape that and return to this more childlike state, this childlike level of purity. And so, you know, so much of life is that... I don't know that that's alchemy... But it's like, it's like the gold that turns into powder and then you add cyanide and turn it back into gold. You know, a lot of people's spiritual pursuit is that. And it's not for me. Like, I'm not interested in returning to a childlike state. I don't, you know, I, you know, I don't like children's books. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't like, I would hate to feel like I'm a kid again. I wouldn't hate it, but it's just like, that's not what I'm looking for. But there is a similar level of purity that you want. And there is something pure about childhood. Except, like, I look back at childhood and, like, my friends and I weren't that pure. Like, we were making awful jokes. We were we were saying some awful things. Like, I don't think we were as innocent, necessarily, as some people think kids ought to be or are. But, you know, for me, it's like, you know, returning to that state of childhood, I don't know. That's not my own thing. If it happened, it happens. Uh, if it happened, it happens. Um, but uh, I don't know. That's what some people are after. Like people are after. They they want to return. They feel like they've become that powder and they want to return back to their solid gold state that they feel they started in when they don't realize that even being a human baby is, you know, even that is impure. And I don't want to get anti-materialistic. I don't want to get capital G Gnostic here. But it's like even being a baby is like on the path to corruption. Look at all those corrupt babies. No, but it is. It, it really is. Because the real return is that when you die, you return to the state you were in before you were born. And that's the solid gold. And that doesn't mean you should hate life, you should hate biology, you should hate 
the physical world, you know, you don't want to get ascetic. You don't want to be a capital G Gnostic about it. But you can kind of see that as just something to look forward to. Because you don't have a choice. You will be looking forward to it no matter what anyway. You will be looking ahead to it. It's, it's going to happen no matter what. And it doesn't matter what your interpretation of that is. Like it doesn't matter what you think about the soul or the non-soul or heaven or hell or reincarnation. It doesn't actually matter what you think of. It, it doesn't actually matter what you think death is. Because no matter what, it seems like you return to the state that you started in. Non-existence. If you see it as simple non-existence, you still return to the state you started in. You, and in Eastern spirituality, you know, you return to that place too, and then you start over again. So there, there's a common idea. You know, I don't know that the Christian afterlife necessarily fits with that. Although it might, I don't know, I don't, you know, I'm not going to misunderstand it. I'm not going to misunderstand it here. Uh, But yeah, it's interesting though, like returning to the state that you started in might be the true alchemy. And that's why, you know, alchemy is just life. I don't know. I don't know. I've never never really delved into alchemy. So here I am talking about it. Um, I'm so wrong. My understanding of alchemy is so wrong. But yeah, not misunderstanding people, just to get back to that, to close this episode out, I was listening to the Animals song, and I know they didn't originally do it, I think like Nina Simone or somebody did it first, but uh, I like the Animals version, it's the version I know, but it's the song, uh, Please Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood, great lyrics, I mean, I'm going to read some of those lyrics, I I think the worst thing I do on this show is... uh, when I when I just read lyrics, <laughs> which I do that all the time, I clearly do that all the time. But uh, it, it's worth doing. I think it's worth doing. Uh, but you know, I, I'm not going to read the entire lyrics, but just some lines in there. Like, I'm just a soul whose intentions are good. Oh Lord, please don't let me be misunderstood. You know. Uh, Sometimes I get a little mad. Don't you know no one alive can always be an angel? When things go wrong, I seem to go bad. Um, I don't know. I like that. I'm just a soul whose intentions are good. I mean, that's giving people the benefit of the doubt. Is seeing people's souls as fundamentally good. Their intentions are good. Um, you know, I don't know. This was a bad idea to try to read the lyrics. Um, it's just about being human. I mean, there's literally a lyric. Oh, now you don't, oh, now don't you know I'm human? I got my faults just like anyone. And sometimes I lie awake alone, regretting some foolish thing, some sinful thing I've done. So it's like, I mean, those, it's just like a really simple, straightforward idea. And it's so well stated and good. And that the animal, I'm a big animals fan. Like, even though they're a little too rock and roll for me. They're not because I'm a fan. They're not too rock and roll for me. But even though that style, I'm not usually into that style of like rock and roll. Like that's not school night music to me. Like the animals to me aren't what I would call every night a school night music, which is much more of like sappy, sugarcane, doo-wop, pop. 
but I will say that I love, I've always loved the animals. Lowercase a, capital A, I love animals. And uh, that song, though, their performance is spectacular. The lyrics are wonderful. The delivery, all of it's great. And it's just such a good message. You know, just don't let me be misunderstood. And what's funny is I wanted to listen to that this morning. You know, I, I wanted to, I've, I've been thinking a lot about misunderstanding and how that's all I ask. Please don't let me be misunderstood. Don't understand me. Don't even try to understand me. Because the harder you try to understand me, the more likely you are to misunderstand me. But don't misunderstand me. Just focus on that alone. Focus on, you know, just trying not to misunderstand what I'm saying. And if two people cannot misunderstand each other, which you inevitably will, but if you can intentionally not misunderstand them, that's alchemy. Because I think when you intentionally don't misunderstand somebody, I think in some ways you convert that to understanding. Like you can have an understanding to not misunderstand each other. And that's some sort of alchemical process where you've converted misunderstanding or the potential for misunderstanding into a mutual understanding not to misunderstand each other. And this just sounds like a jumble of words, but it, you know, it, it, makes, it does make some actual sense. And it, it, it's funny, though, the first thing that came to my mind, though, like this morning, I wanted to listen to that song. And so I was going to listen to it on my computer. And what I typed in was you must I typed in you misunderstood me first. And you know what that is? That's a reference to a Daniel Menchie album. Daniel Menchie is a, a incredible experimental noise sound artist who's been doing it for a long time. I'm, I'm a big fan. I have a ton. Of, I don't know that I have this album of his though it's not even an album it's a collaboration he did and it's called you misunderstood me first i don't know if that's a reference to something else or if it's something that daniel menchie and his collaborator came up with you know sometimes i'll think that a band like came up with some incredible title and i'll find out it's like a reference to a book which is fine but you know i don't know i I give people the benefit of the doubt sometimes and i'm like oh they came up with this incredible title but i i don't know i don't think that this is a taken from anything that I know of, but it's this Daniel Menchie collaboration from 2003 called, uh, you misunderstood me first. And I, I don't even think I own it. Like I said, I own a bunch of his records and stuff, but I don't think that I own, uh, that particular Daniel Menchie recording, but yet clearly it had an impact on me. I mean, I still remember the title to the point where like, I'm thinking about misunderstanding this morning and I want to listen to a, an animal song about misunderstanding because it's about my feelings. And the first thing that comes to mind is an old, like a, a Daniel Menchie thing from 18 years ago that I don't even own. That's pretty incredible that that can stick in your mind. Cause I mean, clearly I, I've been obsessed with misunderstanding for 20 years, my entire life. And yet this random Daniel Menchie title came to my mind this morning. I have not thought about that ever. I have have not thought about that Daniel Menchie recording probably since it came out and I saw that title. And like I said, I don't even think I own it. I think even if I were to go through my, uh, my noise CDs, I don't think I would find that one. But it's wonderful. You misunderstood me first. I mean, there's something tongue in cheek about that. Because that's what that that explains so much misunderstanding. It's like 
no, 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 you misunderstood me first. But it's like, it all does start with one person misunderstanding the other one first. But then when the, the, and here's the problem I want to get at too. It's not just all about them. Oh, the world's just misunderstanding me. It's all their fault. Like you do things to encourage that. You play into that. I do that all the time. I play into that all the time where like, I will encourage people to misunderstand me. It's what happens when you're provocative. It's what happens when you're argumentative. It's what happens when you're aggro. You know, you kind of cast a spell over somebody saying, please misunderstand me. Please. Will you please misunderstand? You know, um, don't need to go on like that. Uh, but you kind of cast a spell when you come from an impure place. When you express yourself in an impure way, you kind of cast a spell saying, please misunderstand me. Please. It's my fetish. I like a girl who misunderstands me. You know what I like? I like a girl. I kind of do. Not to get... Here's a very candid admission. I think I think I have a thing for women who misunderstand me. And I think that I do. I Oh, boy, I, I encourage it. I think about a girl that I was in love with a few years ago. More than a few years ago, but, you know, five years ago. And... Uh, I think back and like, even though I think that it was doomed, I think about like all these times, like when I would get drunk and, uh, I would absolutely invite misunderstanding. I would absolutely provoke, not in a mean way, like, I, like not in a way where I was like attacking her, but still, like I look back on that and I'm like, you know what? I was constantly asking to be misunderstood and I got exactly what I wanted and I'm over it. I am, but still, I got exactly what I wanted, and it, that was, the problem was that wasn't the whole of what I wanted, because, I mean, there is some fun to being misunderstood, because you get to play that game. You suddenly get to play the game of misunderstanding, which, again, it goes back to that Daniel Menchie title, of all things, that came to my head out of nowhere this morning. You misunderstood me first. And again, that could be a reference to something else. I don't know. He could have gotten that from something else. I don't know. He's a creative guy. He, he very well came up with it himself. I just don't know. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's just that's so accurate. It's like we play that game of like, because, I mean, that's kind of uh, that was kind of like the game I was playing with that girl. It was just like, no, 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 you misunderstood me first. And therefore, I get to misunderstand you and we can keep this going on forever, baby. Because it's my fetish. It's my, it's my deepest, darkest fetish. You meet people and they're like, Oh, I, I have a confession to make. I'm into BDSM. I'm into BDSM. I mean, me, me and my girlfriend are into BDSM. It's my deepest, darkest fetish. And it's like, uh, you know what mine is? It's when a girl misunderstands me. Um, it's fun though. It's all fun. Life is fun. It's snowing out. I love snow. I love a good snow. There's no misunderstanding snow. But, uh, yeah, you misunderstood me first. Not much more to say about that. Just that I, there is this accusation 
but it's an accusation that you're being accused. Because every accusation, you know, you know, not every accusation, but, you know, so much misunderstanding comes with an accusation. Which is why it's it can be so troubling, which is why misunderstandings are so troubling, is that it, it, first you have a misunderstanding, then comes the accusation, then comes the baby, the corrupt baby in the baby carriage. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, just to close this episode out so that I can go admire the snow. If you're coming from a place of purity, you might not achieve understanding because I don't think you can even understand what purity is. And you look at when people focus on purity, ethnic purity, whatever, whatever form of purity you want to go with. It inevitably leads to misunderstandings. Like, look at look at purity in drugs. Oh, this is pure cocaine. Well, we tested it, and it turns out it's only seventy five percent pure. Misunderstanding, right there. I think anytime you assert purity, anytime you make an assertion of purity, you also invite misunderstanding. But in your own life, in your own system of living, like if you try to come from a pure place. I think you're less likely to be misunderstood and you're less likely to understand other people. And that's the greatest deal ever made. The greatest deal ever made, the greatest handshake, the firmest handshake ever shaken, ever shook. The best deal ever made was when one person decided not to misunderstand the other person and they reciprocated in kind. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free Hey.